Our scripture passage this morning is from Jude verses 24 and 25. For those who are physically able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you add your blessing to the reading of your word. Now sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. We are going to cap off our study of Jude this morning. This is going to be the last one. Uh, in this short letter, we've been able to go through and walk piece by piece through this small letter, and we come to the conclusion that Jude has for us when considering the false teachers who existed in the church, even from the beginning, and Jude's encouragement to the Christians of how they're to respond in the midst of those false teachers. And the call we saw last week in God's Word was Jude's call that Christians keep themselves in the love of God. If you remember that from last week, that we are to keep ourselves as Christians in the love of God. The good news is, is that Jude doesn't just put that on us and then not tell us how that takes place. We saw that last week as he showed us that we should have a love for God's word, to spend time in the gospel, to grow in our understanding of the faith. And this morning what I want to do is point you to the object of the worship that comes from those who keep themselves in the love of God. Of the faith that they have inherited. The God that they proclaim and worship is not a small God, but in fact he is a mighty, awesome God. And what Jude wants to leave us with, I think, is the proper doxology is what he calls it, what we have, which is uh, the glory of God, is the focus of what we see in these final two verses. In fact, this is such a part of our faith that it actually became one of the so-called uh, five solas out of the Protestant Reformation. I don't know if many of you are familiar with that, but there were five solas uh, that come from the Latin uh, that were part of the basis of the Protestant Reformation. One was uh, sola gratia, which was that it was by grace alone that one was saved. It was solo Christo, which was that it was on the basis of what Christ had done and him alone. It was sola fide which was through faith alone that one was rescued. It was sola uh, scriptura, which was on the basis of the supremacy and authority of the scriptures and what was taught in them. And then what we look at this morning was soli dea gloria, which was the fact that it was for the glory of God alone. And so what we're looking at this morning is the very glory of God. That's the focus of these verses. So what would I want you to walk away with today? I want you to walk away this morning having peered into the word of God to see the greatness of him. I want you this morning to be captivated by this God. I want you to walk out of here knowing there is no other God but him. So I want to give you just as Jude lays out for us a picture of the greatness of God. And I want you to love him so much 
as you see this laid out in front of you. Are you ready? Jude 24. Jude writes... And says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Remember, he's already talked about the fact that false teachers were in the church. He's already talked about the fact that Christians are to stand or contend for the faith. They are to do so by clinging to the truths of the apostles, what they taught about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He called them to pray. He called them to spend time together. And in all of these things, he calls them to keep themselves in the love of God as Christians. Now, he says, verse 24, now, in addition, building off what he has already said about how we're to build ourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit and, 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 and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, now to him. So what Jude does is he takes the focus off of the false teachers he even takes the focus off of us. And he says at the end of this letter, now to him. Listen, can I help you out, folks? Everything about our daily lives should begin and end with now to him. Right, because I can be so guilty in my life of thinking that the universe revol revolves around me. Right, or that I'm so significant. Everybody should just want to be my friend and everybody should just, you know, be a part of my life because I'm it, folks. I'm it, right? And you think the same thing. You think everyone should care about what you care about and they think, you think everybody should revolve their lives around you. We are, we are because of sin, helplessly found caring only of ourselves. And what ends up happening is because of that sinful motivation, we actually end up making, uh, having a, a big view of us and a small view of God. That's the sinful nature, to make much of us and to make little of God. But what God does in his word is he makes little of us, rightly so, because we are his creation, and makes much of himself. I don't say that to me we don't matter. I just say that in the grand scheme of things, God is the one who's big, not us. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need my, my, uh, uh, my companionship. Uh, he is in and of himself completely joyous and glorious on his own. And yet, he has shown himself to be so gracious. I want to point out just a few of those. First, I want to point out in verse 24, the preserving grace of God. Jude says now to him, and remember the him is talking about God because that's the last place we saw uh, the proper noun. We see it in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. And now Jude says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Okay, so this is important because remember Jude just told us that Christians are to keep yourselves in the love of God. Now he says, to him who is able to what? Keep you. Okay, so it's not just us keeping ourselves. That's our part, right? We keep ourselves in love of God, and we do so by, uh, by doing the things he talked about, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting on the mercy of the Lord Jesus. 
But while we're keeping ourselves in him, you don't need to forget that it's ultimately God who keeps you. While you're keeping yourself, while you're actively pursuing Christ, it's also Christ who preserves and keeps you as his child. We see that throughout the scriptures, not the least of which we see even in 2 Peter, which we talked about was the, was the companion, seems to be a companion to Jude because they write about similar things, they use very similar wording. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. They're not going to fall. You want to know why? Because of their calling and election. They know that they are kept by God. The good news is you want to know why God deserves glory in your life? You want to know why he deserves worship from your mouth? is because he is the one who is able, that means he has the ability to keep you, to guard you, to not let you go. He has the ability to do that. And just so you know, you need that because you and I don't have the ability to keep ourselves. I mean, we're, we're supposed to pursue him, but if left to just ourselves, we're going to falter. But praise be to God, he is glorious and he deserves worship. Why? Because of his preserving grace. Because when he has you as his child, he does not let you go. That's good news. He's able to keep you from stumbling. That means sinning. He's able to keep you from paths of unrighteousness. We already know that God loves us so much that he saves us, but then he also gives us his spirit who guides us and keeps us pursuing him. And so God, the Father, is the one who's able to keep you as a Christian from stumbling, from sinning, from erring, from wandering off. God is able and glorious to keep you from stumbling. Now, for me, that's good enough. But there's more. He says, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Is everyone in here is a sinner, right? Y'all have probably sinned today already, right? Because you've, you've had a bad thought about somebody or you've had an improper motivation about something, right? So everyone in the room, you're a sinner and you've probably blown it already today. And if you haven't yet, you will. But if we're Christians, we have a God who is able to present us blameless. If you're a sinner, this is good news. Could you imagine having to stand before God of your own merit? Could you, what would you say to God if you stood before him? How would you convince him that somehow you deserved to be forgiven? And yet, to him who is able to present you and me blameless before God. To be able to stand in the presence of the one who created all things and to be found 
blameless. What kind of grace allows guilty, sinful people to be declared righteous before the holy God of the universe? See what Jude's doing? Jude's saying, hey, listen, you're small. He's able to preserve you. He's able to keep you. And he's able to forgive you. Oh, this is good news. I can't get people to forgive me in my regular life. But the God of the universe counts me as blameless before him. And he himself is able to present me and you blameless before himself. The grace of God is not just that he can keep you. The grace of God is also that he's able to actually forgive you and me. And when he does so, he does so completely. I don't know about you, but God gives us some really cool pictures of forgiveness in his word. His word tells us that he has taken our sin and cast it as far as the East is, can't measure that, can you? You start going east, you'll keep on going. Not only that, the Bible says that God takes our sin and puts it in the middle of his back. Can you look at your back very easily? The answer is no. Not without the assistance of several mirrors. This is the picture of God forgiving you and me. He takes our sin and he puts it here. Doesn't mean he doesn't know about it. He doesn't look at it. Oh, that's good news because I don't want God looking at my sin. I don't. I'd rather God just forgot about my sin. Guess what God says he does? He takes my sin and he. God also says that he takes our sin and he plunges it to the depths of the sea. There are parts of the sea you can't get to. You can't get to the bottom. It's so far down you die before you got to it. That's good news so far down at the bottom of the sea that no one can dredge it back up again. Not even Satan. That's how much God forgives. Do you want to know why God deserves worship this morning? Because he's able to keep you from sinning and he's able to present you as forgiven before the Father. And when we stand before the Father, we no longer find condemnation we find the very love and forgiveness of a holy king. He deserves worship for that. He has wonderful preserving grace. He has wonderful forgiving grace. I want you to notice what he says about presenting us blameless. He says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, before a holy God, 
he's able to present you blameless. That means directly in front of. The presence of his glory means directly in front of, right in his sight. Oh, listen, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, did they want to be directly in the sight of God? Oh, no. When we sin, do we want to go directly into the sight of God? No. We want to pretend he didn't see it. We want to go stand off in the corner. We don't want to pray to God. We want to just act like he didn't happen. God, in his grace, is able to present us as blameless, not just in general, but blameless before the presence of his glory in the face of a holy God to be declared righteous. Only God can do that. And then he says this, just in case, with great joy. (laughs) To present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Oh, how good it is to be presented before the presence of the glorious king with joy instead of sorrow, with joy instead of grief. And not only joy from our side, but joy from the Father as well, because it pleased God to give his son that we might be forgiven. It pleased God. It was with joy that God rescues his people. And so the picture of sinners forgiven by God standing before his very presence of his glory is not one of sorrow and grief. It is one of exceeding joy. Not just joy, but exuberant joy. The greatest joy you will ever have. Not begrudgingly, but truly Joyous. I'm telling you, some of us in this room need to be exceedingly joyful for what God has done. Nobody needs to walk in here and find us miserable and acting like it's all good. When we come together as the church, we should come together as exceedingly joyful people. Why? Because we serve a God who is able to keep us in his hands. And we serve a God who is able to present us blameless before his own presence. Oh, praise God. Verse 25. We see God's preserving grace. We see God's forgiving grace. And we also see God's delivering grace. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory. Remember, all Jude's camped on in these two verses is God. That's all Jude wants you to see. He said, the false teachers, we've dealt with that. You as Christians, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now to him. Fix your eyes upon the one who preserves you by his grace, who forgives us by his grace, and who delivers us. By his grace. This verse says to the only God, our Savior. Now, some versions say to the only wise God, our Savior. I tell you that my version does not have that. It has to the only God. And it's not because the ESV version is incomplete, it's not because the ESV version is inadequate. It's because many of the early manuscripts of Jude do not have the word for wise in them. Some of them do, and some don't. 
And because they're not sure if it was part of the original, they've left it out in my version. They've gone with what they knew existed in those early manuscripts, which is that God was called the only God. But we see in other parts of Scripture that he is also the only wise God. You see it in Romans chapter 16, verse 27, to the only wise God. But here, Jude, I believe, is focusing on the key truth that there are not multiple gods. There are not many gods. There are not hierarchy of gods. There is no Zeus. There is no Apollo. There is only God. And this God, remember, they would have taught this from the very beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord God is one. From early on in Israel's history, they they knew that there was not multiple gods. There was only one true God. They taught it to their children. They, they, They shared it over and over again. It was what they based their worship on. And here Jude says, to the only God. So there's only one God. And so he alone deserves your worship, not others. Even though in our lives there are other fake gods that will set themselves up in our lives and call for us to worship them. Could be family, it could be a job, it could be money, could be lust. All those things set themselves up as a God to be worshiped. But Jude says there is only one God. And notice how he describes him. He is our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what I think I see here? I think I, I, think I see some of the Trinity being shared here. Because Jude seems to be referring to the only God, you know, the Father who initiates salvation for his people. The the Father initiates, his plan is to save sinners for his glory. But the Son, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord that salvation is accomplished. So it is the plan of God, the Father, to initiate and save his people. It is the Son of God who's able to accomplish that salvation for his people. And it is the Spirit of God who is able to effect salvation in every heart that is changed. To the only God our Savior. There is no other name we can call upon whereby we can be saved except one name, the name of Jesus. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has shown his beauty to us in his saving of his people. To be the Savior means he's the deliverer, means he's the rescuer means he finds little lost sheep who are gone astray and he finds them and he rescues them. None of us is worthy of that. We're all just little sheep wandering off, aiming towards cliffs. And the only God, our Savior, rescues his sheep for himself. Jude says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. The last thing I want to leave you with this morning, that's right, I said leave you with. The last thing I want to leave you with this morning, after looking at God's preserving grace and looking at God's forgiving grace and looking at God's delivering grace, I want to point you finally to the name of God. 
And when I say the name of God and when the Bible says the name of God, it means who God is. So Jude leaves us with this beautiful picture of who God is. Are you ready? He says, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be what? Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Let's walk through these bit by bit. Glory. What does it mean that God is glorious? What does it mean that to God be glory? Well, the glory of God, excuse me, the glory of God is all he is. The glory of God is his, is his essential glory. It's who he is. John Piper says the glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. The infinite worth of God made manifest to us. The glory of God from the Bible means the outward display of the beauty of God. And you see it everywhere. You see the glory of God in his creation. You see the glory of God in your own life. You see the glory of God displayed as God manifests outwardly his inner beauty. Oh, God's glory is seen as he saves sinners. The glory of God is on display when he answers prayer. The glory of God is on display when the church gathers together as the redeemed, blood-bought people of God. The glory of God is his outward expression of who he is. And this is good news because God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to create us. He wasn't lonely. He had the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father was completely content in the Trinity. But he shows his glory, his beauty, as he creates every single one of us. And he shows his glory as he saves those. The glory of God is everything that he expresses outwardly. And Jude says, to the only God be glory. It means that we display God in our holiness and in our obedience to him. We display the glory of God as we serve him and as we love him. To God be glory that we might reflect his beauty to the world as we live for him. Jude says, Christians, to God be the glory. Not me, not you, but God. To the only God be majesty. It's a word for great or to be strong. It means to be exalted above all. You know what God deserves? He deserves to be recognized as the supreme king. You know what God deserves in worship? He deserves to be seen as the exalted one. The one for whom everything else is below him. We're not worshiping a king who we're on par with. We're worshiping a king who is exalted above every principality, every 
power. This king is the one who rightly sits on his throne. Notice he goes on in that because he says to this God be dominion. Dominion means the the realm in which you exercise your power. Well guess what? There are no boundaries to the dominion of God. If it's been created, it's within his dominion to rule. He's exalted not just over some people. God is exalted over every person, whether they recognize him as Lord or not. He's still the exalted one. He has dominion, no boundaries, and he has authority, which means he has the right to exercise his rule on the earth. He has the right to do that. Remember, we're sinners. And as sinners, it would be hard, apart from Jesus, to worship God for his authority to rightly rule. Because that means we have, he has the right over us to exercise judgment. It'd be hard to, to worship God for the fact that he has dominion because that means we're in it. That means he's over us. It'd be hard to worship God apart from Jesus, knowing that he's the one who has all majesty. He's great and strong. He's exalted, and no one can stop him from doing what he wants. All of these things are good news to us because we've been forgiven, because we're preserved by God, because we've been delivered. That's why these are good. This is why we're joyous about these things. That's why we worship God is because he is the one who is all glorious. He is the one who is all majestic, the one who has all dominion, the one who has all authority. And we're no longer fearful before that because we've actually been saved. And we stand before God now as the ones who have been delivered. And so we can rightly give him the glory he deserves. We can rightly worship him for his majesty and his dominion and his authority because he has lavished upon us his grace. And just so you know, Jude wants you to know as a Christian, as a person, that this worship of God, the glory he deserves, the majesty he deserves, the dominion he deserves, the authority he deserves, those are all things that have no time limit to them whatsoever. As Jude was writing to first century Christians, so it is true for us today. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Jude has just explained to you that God deserves this glory and worship forever. Why? Because it's existed forever. All of these things, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, they have always belonged to God. Right? Before all time. Before you and I were ever here, God already possessed all of these things. They were his. They belonged to him. Glory and majesty and dominion and authority, they belonged to God before any of us ever took a breath. Before the world was ever set in motion, God possessed these things. He says, and now, the present. So he says, God, to God be glory and majesty and dominion and, and authority from before all time, eternity past, now, and forever, for future, eternity future. 
God possesses all glory and majesty and dominion and authority. He has possessed it from the very beginning and he will possess it for all eternity. God, these things belong to him and as such our worship for him never ceases, never stops. So what Jude has just told us in these two verses is that because of what God has done and because of who he is, he deserves worship for all eternity. That is the thrust of these verses, I believe. That after he's dealt with false teachers in the church and after he's talked to Christians about how they're to contend for the faith and they're to keep themselves in the love of God, Jude wants to end his letter by saying now to him, keep your eyes focused on the king, the one who glory belongs to, the one who majesty belongs to, the one who dominion belongs to, the one who authority belongs to. And he says, give him these things. Worship him for all time. That is our duty as those who have been rescued by the king. So here's the question. Are you worshiping Jesus? And you can't rightly worship Jesus while worshiping yourself. And so if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're ultimately not worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping yourself. And so my encouragement for you this morning is if you're in this room and you're trusting in yourself to earn God's acceptance and to earn your way into heaven, I want to plead with you from the truth of God's word to stop because you can never earn God's forgiveness. You can never do enough where God owes you forgiveness. And instead, what the Bible calls us to do, the Bible tells us that God is holy and perfect and awesome, that man is sinful and broken, and and we deserve judgment for our sin, but God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that Jesus would take our place. He would die for us, and he would be raised again to new life so that we might die to ourselves and be raised into eternal life. Jesus did that for us, that we might worship the one king who is over all things, and that we might give him the praise that he deserves. And if 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 you're trusting in yourself, that is wholly insufficient to purchase your pardon for your sin. But God in his grace doesn't ask you to earn acceptance. He gives it freely through Jesus. And what I'm petitioning each of you to do is if you're trusting in yourself, I want you to see that, that it will never work. And I'm pleading with you to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's all God desired. And you trust in him because God deserves your worship. He created you. He put breath in your lungs. He deserves the worship of every human being. And we as a church will not stop until every person is worshiping the king. Christians, we need to understand that there are a lot of false gods warring for our affections. There's a lot of idols in this life that are calling us to worship them instead of God alone. And what I want you to do this morning as Christians is I want you to jettison any small view of God you might have. 
What I mean by that is I want you to throw off any small view of God you might have. Anything in your theology that makes you great and God small, I want you to flee from it. I want you to put it away. Anything that makes you think that you're the center of the universe, anything that makes me think I'm the center of the universe, let us cast it off in the view of there is only one awesome God. What I want you to walk away with this morning, Christians, is I want you to walk away with a big view of God. You cannot help but worship him because of his preserving grace and because of his forgiving grace and because of his uh, forgiveness and because of his deliverance and because of just who he is. I want you to, to move away from any small view of God you might have, and I want you to look upon the beauty of the only God. And how do you look upon the beauty of the only God? Here is where the beauty of God has been written down for you and me. God has said, here is my glory. Here's my beauty. God isn't just working today. He has worked throughout the ages. And what we have in the scriptures is the testifying to the beauty of God, the glory of God. So every day, guess what we do? We remind ourselves of the beauty of God. We open up to places like Jude 24 and 25 and we're reminded that there is only one God. And he is glorious. And he deserves all majesty and power and dominion and authority. Those all belong to him. And so Christians, we will not rightly see God and ourselves apart from being in the word of God. Thankfully, he has left us with all we need to worship and to live for him. And so Christians, what I want to call us to is a serious study of the scriptures that point us to the beauty of our God. And that you might worship him. That you, you might not just go, oh, all right, God, I'll give you about three minutes. We can do a quick prayer and then I'll get on with the rest. Okay, God, I'll read this one verse and I'll head on. Those things can be helpful, but what we need is more than that. What we need as Christians is to daily immerse ourselves in the beauty of God. That is the only way we will worship him. First, we must be changed by God. We must be saved through the work of Christ. And we must immerse ourselves in the beauty of God. We must remind ourselves daily and constantly that he alone is worthy of all that worship. And so what I'm calling us to as Christians is let's not neglect those things. Because when we do, our view of God begins to shrink. But if we as Christians will immerse ourselves in the beauty of God found in his word, we will rightly worship him. We'll be overcome by our God seated on his throne. And God petitions us through his word, come, let us adore him. What I want for every one of us is to walk out of this building this morning with a picture of the beauty of God that would lead us to worship. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for, God, the truth that you are the only God and we desperately need you. God, thank you for pointing that out to us. Thank you for reminding us constantly of the fact that we are nothing apart from you. Lord, we are sinners who are in need of salvation and God, you have told us 
that through your son we can be rescued and redeemed. You've told us that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room who's trying to earn acceptance with you, who's trying to earn salvation. God, I pray you will show them this morning that they cannot earn salvation, but you have given it freely through your son Jesus on the cross. That what they need to do is not look to themselves, but they need to look to Jesus upon the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that you will draw their attention to the work of Christ. I pray that you will draw their attention to their need for forgiveness. That they might see how great their sin is, but yet how great of a Savior you are. So, Lord, I pray that you might rescue people this morning. I pray you'll save them. God, I pray that you'll be with us as Christians. Help us, God, not to have a small view of who you are. But God, to see that you are the awesome, majestic king. You are the one who has existed before all time. And God, you have always been and will always be. Help us, God, this morning to see in your word that you are deserving of worship for all time because of all you've done and because of who you are. God, because of your preserving grace, God, because of your forgiving grace, because of your delivering grace, and because of your great name, God, you deserve worship from now until the end of all time. Help us to do that, God. Help us as Christians to not present to our world a small God. Lord, but we'd present to them the awesome king, the creator, the majestic one. So, Lord, this morning in this service, before we leave this place, work in our hearts. Stir up our affections for you. Cause us to hate sin and to love you. God, do it for every single one of us. Do it for me, God. Stir up a burning in my heart to want to worship you and to want to see more people giving you the glory you deserve. So God, do it this morning just because you're that good. And we'll give you all the glory because it belongs to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.